Please pray with me. Come, Holy Ghost, our souls inspire, and lighten with celestial fire. Teach us to know the Father, Son, and Thee of both to be but one. And through the ages all along, this shall be our endless song. Praise to thine eternal merit, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. At the center of the faculties of the soul, and by that I mean reason and intellect and imagination and emotion and passions, the appetites of the soul, the powers of the soul, at the center there is a seat. And that seat is called the heart. It's the place on which all of those faculties, all those powers converge. They come together, and the will is exercised. That seat, if you will, is a throne. And we were built by God. We were designed by God, made in the image of God, with memory and reason and skill and capacity for relationship and freedom of will to allow that throne to be filled by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one for whom it was designed. Now, well, the one thing I know about a throne is they never stay vacant for long. There's always someone that sits on the throne. And the design by God was that he himself would sit on the throne of all those faculties and exercise his rightful reign in us and us to exercise dominion over the earth as he reigns through us. What an honor it is to be made in the image of God, that he being the greater regent and we being the sub-regent, as it were, that his kingdom would be extended in us and through us and that we would exercise dominion on earth as it is in heaven. Well, in case you haven't noticed, there's a fly in the ointment. Something is off. And I don't know if you've had the experience, actually I'm sure you have, where, where your thoughts are going off this way and your emotions are going off that way and your passions are headed that way and your body's beelining down there and we're a mess. We're all over the map. There's a disconnect in the chain of command from the one who is designed to sit on the throne to reign over our faculties and through us and the end result is sin on all sides. It takes very little, very little imagining to think about that. Open the newspaper. Terrorism, wars, corporate greed. Um, and as I got honest a little earlier in the service, I yelled at the girl at the giant eagle yesterday. Um, it's, the faculties are scattered, and the end result is we're in a world full of sin. And that's because the rightful heir to the throne has been usurped. Our ancestors, Adam and Eve, um, who chose to, though made like God, wanted to be God and ushered him, usurped the throne and pushed him off the throne. And everything has scattered ever since. That's why uh, one of the biggest sins is idols. 
Our faculties scattered all over, we grasp and we grab at idols and we let them crawl up in the throne and set the tone because whoever sits on the throne exercises and wields tremendous power. First over us and then all around us and across the face of the earth. And God says, I am the Lord your God, have no other gods. And the second is, you shall have no idols. It's not because God is some kind of megalomaniac that wants all the attention, although he deserves it. It's because he knows. He knows that at best, when we create and let idols sit on the throne of our hearts, of our families, of our churches, of our society, when we let idols take over the throne, at best, they didn't create us, they don't love us, they can't save us. And at worst, they're full-out demonic. You want to think of a couple of those sorts of situations? How about people who, who are so in control, so consumed by power that they cannot let it go? They grasp and they have to have all the power. And it ends up flat-out demonic. I'm not saying there's a demon behind every bush. I'm saying at its worst. How about people who, who have on their throne of their heart a bottle? that they can't even live without a bottle. And so what ends up happening is that sets the tone for everything they do. Their whole, all of their faculties are built around that, whatever that idol is. Their thoughts, their passions, their emotions, everything is centered on that idol. Or sex. You want a real good example? Pornography. It just eats people's lives. And so it warps their imaginations, it warps their passions, it warps their emotions, it warps everything, and ends up with a demonic quality. It's just a couple of examples. When the throne is usurped, the world is off kilter. And today, as the last day of the church calendar year, before things start up next week with Advent 1, when we start to tell the story again, Today on Christ the King Sunday, the church asks us to remember that there is an end to the story. And there is a king who will have his way. And we'll ponder that as we go through Advent and then all the mystery of the incarnation, etc. But for today, we're asked to remember that there is a throne, and the throne isn't the power, it's just emblematic of the one who is designed to sit on the throne and to bring about his rightful reign. And idols, nah, they're not worth it. Because he's the only one, he's the only one with the compassion and the wisdom and the patience and the justice, the grace. He's the only one who can take that throne because of his humility. And we're reminded that there is not one molecule running out of control in this world that he isn't altogether in control of and will bring under the fullness of his reign in his time. All the scriptures that we've had this morning talk about that. And actually, the motif, the motif that runs Genesis to Revelation is the kingdom of God. That's what we're waiting for. That's what Jesus came proclaiming. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's this close. Just turn around into it.
And so all of the scriptures that we've had today talk about thrones and, and reign and, and kingdoms and kings. Daniel starts with that, that vision that he has hundreds of years before the advent of Jesus of there was an ancient of days and one that was human, that was given all dominion and glory and kingship. He had a vision of Jesus being given the authority to reign with his father. And of course, the psalm talks about the king is put on splendid apparel. He's in his, all of his majesty and that the whole world is, is, is founded and yet he is more sure than the world and his testimonies are sure and extols the reign of God as king. And of course, we also get a picture from the gospel of Jesus, that humble king, before the rulers of this world, um, almost as though to say, it's an indictment to say, the way kings of this world work with their domination is not the way of God with dominion. In his humility, he allows things to unfold. But what I want to look at with you today is the Revelation passage. Um, because captured in only three and a half verses is the entire gospel. Captured in only three and a half jam-packed verses is the creed that we rehearse week in, week out when we come here. And we not only rehearse, we commit ourselves to this. And so I want to think with you uh, for just a moment about the Revelation passage. I love Revelation. If you, if you have been around me, I always talk about Revelation because um, some people think it's a, it's a book about weird, uh, freaky predictions. Nothing doing. Um, I think it's a very practical, hands-on book that actually paints a picture of what life is like right now because it's what life was like when it was written by John in his day, there's all this persecution and crazy stuff going on. And see, apocalypse is the first word of the book in Greek. Um, and what apocalypse means is apo, away from, and kalipsis is a veil. What it is is an unfolding of the veil that as all this mess is going on in the world, every once in a while in the book of Revelation, it's as though God lifts the veil and says, just take a look. Ah, you think it's crazy? I'm at work. I have not forgotten you. I am bringing about the fullness of my kingdom. And the thing I know, hands down, is that we as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we are a people shaped more by our future than by our past. We are not held down by, by the disintegration and the distractions and the sin of the world because God has broken through in his son to prepare a place for us. That where he is, we might be also. We are a people who have that vision and revelation gives it to us. We're a people headed somewhere. So as the world starts to fall apart around us, and sometimes it looks that way. If you've seen what's going on right now, I want to panic when I think about Palestine and Israel with a war next door in Syria and Egypt. Oh, did I mention Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan? And then fill in the blanks. Then I read Revelation and I go, oh, that's right. There's not a molecule in the world that is out of control, that you aren't altogether in control of, and you have a long view and a lot of patience and all the ways and means because he is so much the Lord that all things work for good for those who love him and who are called by him. All things work for good. That's how much of a Lord that we have.
King of kings and Lord of lords, whom we celebrate this day. So, Revelation opens up. Uh, there's only a couple of verses I want to go through. The, the, the couple of verses right before it give an introduction to the book that basically says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave. Um, and he, he states what it is, revelation from, of Jesus Christ, and who it was he gave it to, John. And then he also says, blessed is the one who reads these words of prophecy, who hears them and keeps them. The purpose of the book is that you would hear and hold on. As the world's going crazy, hold on. Don't forget. Don't panic. I've got you covered. Then it opens where John starts to address those uh, in this epistle. And he opens up. This is where the whole gospel is, is in these few verses. He says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of earth. Grace to you and peace from whom? The Trinity. From him who was and is and is to come. That's what Daniel was talking about, the ancient of days. That God, who always was and always will be and is right now, hasn't given up. He's invested and he won't give up. And from uh, the, the seven, here it says, the seven spirits who are before the throne. It's actually not a very good translation. I'm sorry to insult anybody, but I don't like the NRSV. Um, it would be better translated the sevenfold spirit. John is very symbolic, and when he talks seven, he's always talking completeness, perfection, fullness. What he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. From the ancient of days, the Father, from the Holy Spirit before the throne, and from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the one who died and rose again, the ruler of the kings of earth. Okay? So the Trinity, and he says grace and peace. I want to think about those two words because those are huge in terms of gospel. Grace. God's undeserved merit. Undeserved favor from God. Grace. God loves us. And there's nothing that, we get, that he gets from us. I've never had children, but I've been with a lot of people who've had children and I have heard the same line over and over again. I never knew what love was like until I had my first child. And it struck something so deep in me, I didn't know that I had that kind of depth. If you're here and you're a parent, you probably know what I'm talking about. And there's not much that a child brings to the relationship, really. Dirty diapers, college bills. I mean, come on. Other than the relationship itself. And, and a parent can't, it's almost like the parent can't help but marvel at life and love this child and long for a relationship with this child. That's the message of grace. We don't earn God's favor. If, if you're caught in that game, come here, let me pray for you. It, it's seriously, God's grace is extended to us in Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because he wanted to sustain and repair the relationship that he created us to have, that he might sit on the throne and rule, and we, in cooperation with his greater rule, would see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God's grace. 
and peace. Now, if you think peace and you think, which is easy in terms of um, all that goes on in the media and the news, we think of peace as just a lack of conflict, and that's a good thing. I think God wants a lack of conflict. The promise is that all wars will cease and all this will happen, but that's about one quarter of what peace means to a Jewish person. Instead of thinking peace, think shalom. It's a big word in Hebrew. And John, being Jewish and of Jewish tradition, says grace to you and peace. When he's talking shalom, he's talking every good thing of God. Not just lack of conflict, that's part of it. God's going to settle wars and settle conflicts. But he's talking the fat of the land, no good thing will you be denied, everything, true justice, no one's too rich, no one's too poor, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more fear. God himself wipes away every tear from your eyes. Shalom. Grace to you, God's undeserved, unmerited favor in your direction. God is really very delighted in those who've come to him and submitted to him in Christ. And his peace, the reign the fullness of the kingdom of God in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is, what, this is how John begins, just to kind of pour out a benediction on those who read this so that you would know what God has in store for you. Well, the thing that I love about John throughout this, um, this epistle is that he's always giving us glimpses of God as at work, and this is what's going on, and then the immediate response is worship. It's the only proper response to the grace and peace of God extended to us in Jesus Christ. To fall on our faces, throw our crowns down, and just worship him because he's good. And it happens over and over again. It's all, all of Revelation is punctuated with this stuff. In, in here, and then uh, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 11, chapter 19, it just keeps going. Where you get these glimpses and everybody's falling down and worshiping God because they see him for who he is, how good he is. He is king, and his kingdom is coming. So John, after extending grace and peace, begins to worship God. He blesses us, and then he blesses God. And he says, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, before he praises God, he extols why God deserves our praise. To him who loves us, that's the grace I was talking about. Do you stop and think that God actually loves you? Oh, theologically he has to, right? Because he's God. But, but to stop and think that God really is very fond of us in Christ. What's spoken of Christ, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, baptized, brought into the body of Christ, Believing in Jesus, that is spoken of you. This is my son, my daughter, whom I love. With him, with her, I am well pleased. Do you ever stop to think that God might even enjoy your sense of humor? Or the quirky things you do? Or the way you make little swirls at the end of your signature? Or whatever things you do, God actually loves you like a parent loves a child and loves it when we crawl up on his lap and just cuddle. You don't have to say much. Just, I'm yours. 
you're mine. I give myself to you. Reign over me, please. To him who loves us. And how does he show us he loves us? He freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus said, no greater love has anyone than this that they lay down their life for a friend. And if somebody makes you more important than themselves, someone's actually willing to forego their own life for your benefit, now you're talking to somebody that loves you. Because when it's all about me and what I get, that's not love. And Jesus, so God so loved the world that he gave his only son to the end that all that believe would not perish but have everlasting life. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins because it was blocking. It's the usurpation of the throne. And he was so invested he would not give up. So he sent his son to reappropriate and recapitulate. To him be glory and dominion and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So first, grace to you and peace, and then to God be praised because he's made the way for us. And then John goes on to say, look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. Look, he's coming on the clouds. I'm not going to get into the second coming. That's coming up in Advent. But the thing that John's telling us, the end is coming. And the kingdom will be established. And the full reign of God will be appropriated in your life, in your faculties, in his church, in this world. It was his, and you heard what Father Jonathan shared with us a couple of weeks back, that that he is going to come and he's going to usher in the fullness of his kingdom. So hold on. Life might be falling apart. Life is rough. Life is not always good. Hang in there. Just take a little glimpse. God lifts the veil. I'm at work. I haven't given up. Praise God. Welcome to Revelation. And then the last verse. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty, the Pentocrator, the ruler of the universe. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the Alpha, it began with me. I created everything, I was here before anything, and I'm the Omega, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, who was and who is and who is to come. And in God's God's sight, it's all right now. It's not back then, yet to come. From God's perspective, it's all right now. So we're asked to remember before we tell the story again, going into Advent, and we recycle and go back through the story that it's not just cyclical. For now, we rehearse the story year in, year out, but it's coming. The kingdom is being ushered in and it will take root. It will happen. Hold on. So what about us? How do we participate in that? What, what, what does that mean for us? Um, a couple things to think about. Uh, first, how do we participate in that story? Is You need to know the story. Genesis to Revelation. 
There's a story that is God's story. All of history. And if we don't know Genesis, we don't know the Bible. If we don't know Revelation, we don't know the Bible. You can't start in the middle of the story. To know where you are in the story, you need to know the story. And when we search the scriptures, God speaks. It's what one young person uh, said to me a number of years ago, really caught me off guard. He, he was talking about his own devotions. This kid who was about 15, he said, you know, sometimes when I get real quiet, it's like as if I can hear him breathing. Wow. When we read the scriptures and search the scriptures and let them scrutinize our lives, God speaks. And we start to find that we are part of the story. We're in the story, and he is at work. He has not given up, and he will not give up. Second, cultivate a personal prayer life. Around here, we love liturgy, in case you haven't noticed. Um, and liturgical prayer is very important because it's the church together, the people of God together at prayer. But you also need to have your own personal relationship, your own personal prayer life to cultivate. If you're married or if you have a significant other, you know you've got a public life, but you've got to go home and have one face-to-face -to -face time. And for God, the increase of his reign to come over your life, we need to discipline ourselves. We do what's really important to us. Um, and to discipline ourselves to actually cultivate that quiet, that place where we let his reign come over us to increase and to say, how are you reigning in my life today? Three, um, you've got to be part of a, of a community, church community. I'm speaking to the choir, but there are no Lone Rangers Christians um, you can't be a Christian out there living on your own because you'll make all kinds of crazy stuff up. You can convince yourself and you need the community around you praying for you and sometimes telling you you are nuts or sometimes assuring you that you are not nuts. That's, that's probably even more important. A lot of times I think I'm nuts and then people remind me that, well, not always, but... Um, not always. Uh, but the thing is that the community around us reminds us who we are and reminds us that God's at work and they pray with us and they call us to account. Um, I saw a poster once that I absolutely love. It says, love is learning someone else's song and playing it back to them on the day that they've forgotten. I, I, just, I just think that's, that's a really important thing. And we can't be Christians out there on our own. We come up with, I've got a very fertile imagination. I create really nutty stuff. And it's helpful for somebody to say, ah, Jack, I think it was the pizza you ate before you went to bed that gave you that dream. You know, it, it's, it's helpful to have the community around you, the body of Christ. And as uh, uh, St. Cyprian said, um, no, St. Cyril, I keep going back and forth, um, said that he who has not... The uh, the, the church for a mother has not God for a father. You can't be out there on your own because you're folded into the body of Christ, and that's big. You've got to be in a community. The next thing I want to mention is offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. St. Paul's very clear. You want to know God's will? In view of God's mercies, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. This is a reasonable worship. Offer yourself. Then you'll know what God's will is. Have you offered yourself to the Lord for the increase of his reign? What I'm talking about really is the practice of the presence of God, the practice of the reign of God, which doesn't happen once. 
it's an everyday affair. We wake up again and we find, oh, that's right. I've forgotten. I've forgotten that it's actually your world. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that you made. I fit into your life rather than trying to figure out how to fit God into my life. And if you're like me, I do that all the time. I got to steal away a couple of minutes to fit God into my life. It's not my life. It's his life that he's living in us and through us. That's what St. John is about all over the place. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. So I come back to the throne and I can't help but ask you, I mean, maybe you're here and you've never heard this before and if that's the case, it's my honor, seriously, to get to be the one to share that with you because it is the gospel, the good news that God has broken in on our behalf and there's nothing out of control that he isn't altogether aware of and able to care for. If you've never heard that, I'm really honored. In fact, come find us. We'd love to pray with you and ask that every good thing God has for you. But maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've come back time and time again. Um, as we look at the throne on this Christ the King Sunday, I can't help but ask, are there things that have crawled up in the, into the throne that are setting the tone for the decisions you're making, the way you're living, because the increase of his reign across the face of the earth starts in me. Is there anything that might have crawled up in the throne that maybe you just want to ask him to push to the side, to take his rightful place, and to reign? Because of the increase of his reign and peace, there'll be no end, and his kingdom is good. Let's take a moment and bring ourselves before the Lord and ask him to clear the throne that as we enter into a new year, he might reign all the more. When we woke up this morning, you were Lord. And when we lie down tonight, we trust Lord Jesus, that you will be Lord. And what we're most needful of in this moment is the increase of your reign and your peace. Come take your rightful place. The throne of our hearts, the throne of this church, the throne of our community, the throne of the world, and give us every grace to hold on until you recapitulate and restore all things. And we with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven will throw our crowns before you and give you praise. For you are worthy, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.